Okay, can I get your attention? We'll get started. I want to um, try to start almost on time. Just We're going to leave a lot of time at the end for question and answer, so I want to get us going now so we can talk um, at the end. Also, uh, at the end, I'm going to give you a recommendation of a whole bunch of books. If you have interest in, yeah, like books. It's my area of materialism. Um, so if, you're, if there are more questions that you have, even that we don't get to or don't, uh, don't answer, I'm going to give you some recommendations from basic Bible study methods all the way up to uh, the philosophy of interpretation, all that kind of stuff. So we'll give you the whole thing. This morning, though, what I want to do, what, we're going to just basically lay a foundation for Bible study methods, just the, the basics of Bible study methods. And one of the things I hope that you pick up is that there are all kinds of different approaches to studying the Word. One of the reasons that we are doing it together is we study the Word differently. Our approach is very different, and so I want you to hear different perspectives on, you know, there's, in a sense, there's not a right way to study the Word. Um, What? There may be just one right interpretation, but there there are a lot of ways to to really get at it and let the Lord speak to you. So that's what we're going to go after, but before we start, let me um, me just open us in prayer. Father, we acknowledge the fact that um, studying your word is not merely an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. It is something that requires the illumination of your spirit. We acknowledge that there are many brilliant people in the world who um, never understand the truths of your scripture. Mm-hmm. And so much of that has to do with the attitude of our hearts as we come <clears throat> before you. And so uh, right now, Father, we want to just take a moment. We want to stop and still our hearts before you. And I pray, Father, that uh, as we do so, we would um, make ourselves open and receptive to whatever it is that your Spirit wants to speak to each today. Let's take a few moments quietly, just on your own, and and, uh, go before the Lord. Father, we pray for the fullness of your Spirit. pray that your Spirit would be in control and you would push out distractions from us for an hour mm-hmm. so we could just um, be together, listen, uh, learn from one another, and learn from your word. Mm-hmm. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, anybody here like studying the Bible? Anybody? Okay. Yay. Tell me why. Why do you like to study the Bible? Anybody? You Doesn't have to be a long answer. Yeah, you Debbie? You can say funny stuff too if you want. What's it? It's life-changing. Mm-hmm. It's encouraging. Mm-hmm. What else? Ooh. Very good. Somebody we need that, don't we? Conviction yeah. card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Draws that relationship close. Mm-hmm. What else? Yeah. Excellent. Oh. Yeah. Trains you, so you know what to say. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What else? It is fun. Oh, it is fun. Wins the door prize. There you go. That's right. <laughs> Where's the Starbucks card? Yeah. Or an insure plus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Very fun. And and I hope that when you guys walk out of here, that's what you feel. Uh, I think a lot of times people hear Bible study methods, they go, uh, you know, like, uh-huh. I've got to learn Greek and Hebrew, I've got to do whatever, you know, no, you don't have to. It should be, hopefully, something that's really fun and enlivening. Um, I can't remember one of you said, you know, just, it's, it's just refreshing and renewing, I think that was mm-hmm. you, Gabe. I, there are times when um, I'm just feeling the heaviness of the, of the world, and I just sit down and I begin to read. I'm not even doing Bible study methods, I'm not mapping anything out. I just read, and it's like getting warmed up. You know, it's like before I exercise so I don't pull a muscle. Well, I'm just warming up and I'm reading. I'm reading. Pretty soon I realize, 
and my spirit is just coming back to life. Okay? There are a lot of reasons uh, to study the Bible. I, uh, Tristy loves studying the Word. I, I can't tell you how many times I'll come in, I'll see her sitting at our kitchen table, Bible's open, notepad is open, pen's going like crazy, and you know she's so excited and wanting to share what she's learning from the Word. And so I asked her just to share for a few minutes about why she loves to study the Word. Isn't he a sweetie? Uh. That's what you want, girls. <laughs> Trick him into spirituality. <laughs> Every time he comes in, I'm going to open the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, we were here late last night. Okay. Let me give you one thing. I talked to my friend, uh, Shannon, and it, this, this was fascinating to me. Fascinating, fascinating. Because I, I've kind of come to the conclusion, I turned 40 years old this year, as some of my dear friends know. 40's the big in, but I'm still wearing old navy, so there you go. Um, 40's big because in your 20s, you think you, yeah, for me, I thought I knew a lot, maybe everything. In my 30s, I realized I did not, and I needed to go through trial and suffering and pain. And in my 40s, I began to really learn God in a different way. As the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the the creator, the giver of all good things. And I began to love him differently. Interestingly, I I ask these questions of, of different people who are Christians. We'll define Christian loosely. We'll say somebody who goes to church. We understand biblically that a Christian is a person who's recognized what? Four things, right? One, that God has a plan for your life. Two, that we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. Three, that Christ died for those mistakes so you don't have to. And four, that you have individually received that free gift. In the same way that I hand my car keys to Rachel Presley, the gospel does not become hers until she what? Takes it, right? That is the gospel, and it's free. It's free. Most people, though, in America, 68% of evangelicals do not believe in hell. They don't believe in the devil. And so this is what we are dealing with as we begin to be students of the word and try to understand the word as inerrant, without mistake, uh, as perfect, as God breathed, as 2 Timothy 3 says. I thought this was fascinating. Six reasons why don't people why people don't study the Bible. By the way, I have dyslexia. Just to help you. I'm not kidding. I mean, me and my gal pals this summer in Bible study, we had a rip roaring good time. Every time I'd rip I'd reverse something and they're like, Now what number are we on? You know. Why people don't study the Bible? Are you ready for this? This is really good. Number one, because we're supposed to. Always a good answer. A lot of life in that answer. Number two, because if we say we don't, people look down on us, especially in the South, right? Number three, if I ask too many questions, I don't seem spiritual. (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? I am from a home where I was allowed to choose my own spirituality and choose my own religion. And I remember having shame at 19 and sitting next to a little old lady and asking her, um, what, what page is the book of Job on? You know, you feel stupid. 
If we say we don't, people look down on us. Number three, if I ask too many questions, I don't seem spiritual. Number four, I have heard this till, uh, for 20 years. I don't know. This is too hard. And you know what? It is without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, correct? If God's not speaking to you, it might as well be Shakespeare's sonnets. It's too hard. This is, I don't understand it. This one I like, number five, because this is a Bible church. <laughs> I thought that was good. We read the Bible because it's a Bible church. And then this one was actually good, troubling, and exceedingly postmodern because it's good to know the holy books, the Torah, the Quran, the Vedas, and the Bible. I have three reasons why I study the Word, and I put them in a funny order because, well, first of all, I want to see if anybody caught it, but second of all, because it's a little bit true with my flesh. My three reasons I study the Word. Number one, if you're taking notes, Groovy, if you don't, you don't have to. Let me just, in 92 seconds, explain to you what's in front of you. This is um, a thing I taught this summer called um, from our women's Bible study called... <laughs> It's such a dumb... I'm so sorry. It's like da-da-da-da-da-da. Cheesy title. Tristy's Easy Observation Tips. But truly, none of us know how to observe unless we are taught. You don't become a Christian and then like, dude, I get it. That's what discipleship is. That's what mentorship is. That's what learning from older believers are. It is, right? These are easy tips to get you started. If you want additional challenges on the bottom, it should be in front of you. Second thing is, you have, obviously, your iLeader, iPhone, iPod thing. You can take notes if you'd like to. Here's my three reasons I studied the Bible. Number one, holy selfishness. All right. Selfish. That's spiritual. Holy selfishness. And I think it's a great reason. He promises to draw near to you. If what? You draw near to him. That's right. Does anybody have a Bible verse to support that idea? That's right. Very good. James 4.8. God promises, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. The question you ask yourself then is, is he lying? Or is he telling the truth? I trust him that he's telling the truth. If I draw near to him, if I call out to him, if I pray to him, if I need him, he will show up and he will draw near to me. Number one, holy selfishness. Number two, a call to obedience. Do you see why number one and two should be reversed? <laughs> you should obey God before you want to be selfish with God. <laughs> okay. Number two, call to obedience. He commands me to know the word. He commands me to know the word. God is not big on suggestions, as we all know, right? He's not the great God of suggestion. If you want to, it's a great idea not to murder people or kill people and stuff like that. It's, he is a God of commands. Call to obedience. Anybody got a verse for that? Joshua, my favorite, 1.8. Joshua 1.8. Keep these words. Obey them. Allow them to... Uh, melt into your heart to become part of your spirit to change you. Third reason I love to study the word 
is a desire to know. I have a massive desire to know God. And I have a massive desire to know his word because, hey, I don't. <laughs> you know, and I always have this vision. My girls that I've discipled have heard this thing. Uh, I heard a, a joke from a comedian one time, which I really like. I can't tell jokes. I can tell funny stories, but I can't tell jokes. But this guy says, he goes to heaven and he says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, I was going through a really bad trial for like three or four years, and I prayed and prayed and prayed, and you never answered me. And he goes, did you check Hosea? And the guy goes, no. He goes, oh, sorry, my bad. What about, Zeph- what about Zechariah? The guy goes, no. Galatians? No. All of your life, all of your problems, all of your issues, all of your... Um, struggles can be found in the word of God. It is complete, it is whole, it is living, and it is active. I want to know God, so I read his word. I want to know God, and here's why. I want to know who he is. We did our, our summer women's Bible study. We had a blast this summer. We did five sessions, and it was fantabulous. I want to know God. I want to know who he is. I want to know what he's like and, holy selfishness, I want to know what kind of difference he can make in my life. Do you want to choose your major or pray and let God do it? Do you want to choose your man that you're going to marry or let God do it? Do you want to choose your wife or let God do it? Do you want to choose your reaction to suffering or let God do it? My desire to know, I love, who doesn't know Psalm 4610? Be, which is hard. (laughs) Be still and know that I am God. One of my favorite things, I looked this up last night at 11 p.m. because I did not know the Greek word for this word. To know is to look up. It's to look up. It's an exercise. It can be used in two different ways. One in the Hebrew text in the Old Testament for marriage and one in the New Testament for something. It's to discern. It's to recognize. I meet college students all the time and adults all the time who have no clue what to do about their life or their marriage. And I say, what are you reading? And they go, um, you know, people. (laughs) I'm like, that ain't going to answer it, girl. (laughs) You're reading people, Victoria's Secret magazine. You're watching TV all the time. You, you know every movie star and what their trials and tribulations are. You're going to the movies. You're chilling with your friends at Starbucks. You got the latest tunes going. You know, that's cool. But it's not living and it's not going to give you life. Lastly, this is my transition to Brian. Notice how direct it is. We, we never really do strong transitions. All of my girls that have seen us speak together, we never do strong transitions, but this one was really funny because I was like, I need to... <laughs> we just had fun preparing. Anyway, this is my biggest thing I want to leave with you. Tell, tell me the three reasons why I study the Word. Can you, tell, can you look down at your paper and tell me to? Tell me then. Number one, holy self... It sounds like Batman, doesn't it? Holy selfishness. Yeah. Now watch, you're going to drive home and you're going to go, holy selfishness. Holy selfishness. James 4, 8. Number 2, what? Called obedience. Joshua 1, 8. Number 3, a desire to? No. To discern, to recognize, to become wise. As Ben said last night, 
He wants to be wise. When he dies, he wants people to look back and go, that was a man who loved God and had wisdom. Be still and know that I am God. This is my biggest transition for you. And I, it has changed my life, I will tell you, in the last year. I had to get straight up with myself. Some of my girls know about this and some don't. But I had to get to a point through the book, Believing God by Beth Moore. This is not a plug. Okay, we're doing Ephesians, we're doing Believing God, we're doing the politically, uh, <laughs> I almost said, where's Carolyn? I almost said the politically incompetent wife, that's wrong. The politically incorrect wife. We have three Bible studies, they rock out, they're going to teach you to study observation, interpretation, application. Believing God helped me reassess my faith and be convicted and find unbelief in my belief system. Now, this is why I like this. I ask myself honestly, and I'd love for you to write this down because I want you to think about this tonight. God, when I taught uh, women's Bible study this summer, I'm convinced God gives every single person 10 minutes before bedtime to really think. That's when you go, should I have said that? I was kind of angry with the kids today. (gasps) I was mean to my husband. I, this happened today. I'm very unhappy about it, whatever, whatever. 10 minutes. I'm going to pray that God gives you 10 minutes to think about this. Do you believe, and I mean believe, not Elpis, Pistis, Elpis, Pistis, thank you. (laughs) Do you really believe that God's word is living? I get so tired of malarkey, don't y'all? Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God's word, God's word. It's got my name on it, got my James Avery ring, I'm good to go. Right? If you do not believe his word is living, he cannot change you. He cannot teach you. He cannot use you. You can't hear him. You cannot hear him. Ask yourself, do I really believe that his word is living? My prayer for you is that you would say yes and admit to him, sometimes I don't, Lord, but change me, remake me. This is not, this little book, can I have your Bible? Oh, how cute, pink and brown, I love it. (laughs) My daughter would love this. You either choose to believe that this is on the level of Shakespeare's sonnets, my new favorite book, secular book, the first American by Ben Franklin, um, a Vance Havner book, a Piper book, a Beth Moore book, any book in the universe, a handy book on physics, which I've read, it's hard, very hard. Anything, you either believe it's just another doggone book or you believe it is the true living word of God who created the world 2,009 years ago, died on a cross for your sins. And part of the reason, he, he wants to speak to you. It's a love letter to you. He wants you to know him. I was reading Hearing God by Dallas Willard the other day, just a little article, and he said, and it just broke my heart it said god wants to be wanted does that just kill you he wants you he wants to talk to you he wants to for you to listen to him so my challenge for you is do you believe this is a living text do you have a bible verse off the tip of your tongue that tells you it's living can you think of it very good 
Hebrews 4, 11 and 12, 12 is the con- 12 and 13 too. The whole context, it is living, it is active, it is changing. It will change your life in every way possible. Ask yourself, do I believe this is the living word of God? Give it its proper due. Study it. Know it. And then when you stand before the Savior and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you can say, thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for the gift of your word that John Tyndale was martyred for. Thank you for the fact that I have 22 copies of that sucker on my shelf in English and my friends in China are being persecuted and put in China because they have it written on toilet paper. Thank you for the living word of God. Let me pray for you before we transition back to Brian. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, that your word is living and active, sharper than any any two-edged sword. It pierces my bone, my marrow. It tells me the truth. It shows me who I really am when I come face to face. And honest to goodness, that's that's one of the reasons I don't come to you sometimes is because I don't want to look in the mirror. I don't want to look in the mirror at emotional pain, at uh, issues of conviction, at sin, at struggle. But, Father, we all want to start new today. Let iLeader Conference be a time not of knowledge, but a time of renewal. Let us go home tonight and really, really ask you truthfully. I'm going to draw a circle around myself and say, is there revival here first? Help me to believe your word. I want to believe every word out of your mouth because it is God-breathed. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So it shouldn't be surprising for you to know that... um Tristy is uh, more the mystic in our family than I am. Um, I'm, I'm the more methodical. She's the more mystical. But uh, it was interesting, last night we were, as we were driving to uh, iLeader, my confession for the day, I did not want to go. You know, I've been up at the church every day, all day, for the last several weeks. It's like, <laughs> I just don't want to go. I don't want to go. Okay, so, you know, inside I'm really feeling kind of grumpy about going up there. And uh, so we're praying on the way for my grumpiness, trying to fix that through prayer. And, uh, you know, I realized it's the, the fundamental issue that we were really wanting to communicate even this morning relates to why I was feeling grumpy. I didn't have an expectant attitude. I wasn't going for God to speak to me. I was going because it was one more thing that's related to work that I got to go to its job. And, you know, the Lord really was able to turn my attitude, my whole heart, so I was able to sit down and listen to the worship and listen to Ben with an attitude that had turned to expectancy, that I needed God to speak badly, I wanted him to speak, and I know that he will speak. Okay, that's, that's the, the Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, you open it up with an expectant attitude. You can open it up with an academic attitude and memorize the whole stinking thing, but that's not life-transforming. Or you can come with an expectant attitude. God wants to speak to you, and I don't know what he wants to speak on a, you know, a day-to-day basis, but he does every time want to speak to you. Are you expectant? Well, Bible study methods, you're going to do this method, that method, things that help you and work for you. All that those are, in a sense, are getting you to a point of expectancy so that you can hear truthfully and accurately what God wants to say to you. Great quote that I found from Eugene Peterson. He says, familiarity dulls my perceptions. Hurry scatters my attention. Okay, see the two problems he's pointing out? 
Familiarity dulls my perceptions. I've picked it up and I've read it many times. And what I've done is I've just gone, just skimmed right over the surface. And I've done that so many times. I go, I know it. I mean, I see this with our kids. You know, every once in a while, we'll say, you know, we're opening up. What do you want to read? We read, you know, pick some story. Well, let's read. Let's read. You know, how about Jonah? No, Daddy, I already know that story. No, you don't know. You don't know Jonah. You, you know, you don't. I mean, there's so much more in Jonah, seven-year-old, than you have ever seen in your life. And we need to slow down and go through it again and dig deeper. We get so familiar with it. The other is hurry. I can almost guarantee that 99% of you are busier than you should be. You have too many commitments. I, I just know it. I know it. And one of the effects of having too many commitments is you don't have time for the things that are absolutely most important in life. You can't sit with unhurried time in front of the Word. What you do in your quiet time is you go, oh man, i got five minutes before class. i got to get to class. Let me read really quick. Ephesians 1, that's, that was our assignment this week. Okay, got it. Boom, and you're off, and that's it. And it, the Word doesn't sink in then, folks. It just doesn't. Now, I realize in the way life works now, sometimes we're in that situation where we have to do that, we're memorizing verses while we're sitting on the bus going to school or we're memorizing them as we're driving, you know, or whatever. But that's not the way you want to live life, okay? God's word cannot sink deeply into you that way. So you need to put time in your schedule that is guarded just for God. And I confess that though I get paid to pray and get paid to study, this is my greatest battle. Greatest battle is not learning techniques, but having unhurried time. Okay? We're going to uh, give you some techniques. We're going to talk about some stuff this morning. You've got Tristy's list there. I'm going to give you my list of things I look for. The reason you've got two lists is you, so you can see different people look for different kinds of things. We look for some of the same things. I'll give you techniques. But primarily, what I want to drive home this morning is that you've got to learn to see with fresh eyes. That's it. Got to step back, slow down, learn to see with fresh eyes. Now, in terms of techniques, I think about Bible study methods as having uh, three books on the shelf and there are bookends on either side. Okay? The three books are observation, interpretation, and application. The bookends are survey and synthesis. Okay? Survey is when I start a new book, I look at Ephesians, I want to get a sense of the whole. I'll read through it many times. I just, just sit and read. I'm just sitting and reading. And I'm marking some key words as I go and some key themes. I start to write it down. Uh, and one of the most important things is when I'm studying the Word, even in a quiet time, I try to have a piece of paper in front of me and a pen. Because for me, there's something that gets the Word into me better when I've got a piece of paper and a pen. And I'm writing down. That makes me an active learner than not a passive learner, okay? And I will tell you, what you get on Sunday morning, that's passive learning. You're sitting, and if you're just, that's it for your spiritual life, that's not enough. It's got to be you and the Word, and I'm telling you, just do it. Try it. Piece of paper and a pen, and engage actively, okay? 
So I'm doing survey, and I'm looking at the big picture, and I'm reading background articles on Paul and on Ephesus, and I'm just trying to get a sense of the whole. Then I begin to dig in, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm wanting to observe and interpret and apply. I get to all the end of that, and I've made my observations, interpretations, applications, and I want to go back, and I want to synthesize it because I think, for me, again, this, this issue of hurry comes in. I don't stop and let the lessons sink in. I'm, uh, it's just my personality. I'm thinking about, let's think about the next thing. Okay, we're, we're done with Ephesians. Now let's go on to the next thing. I'm next thing, next thing. Next. You know, if you don't just stop and let it sink in, those lessons don't really drive home. And the point of studying the Bible is to know more. Just kidding. <laughs> to have your life changed. That's it. To have your life changed, right? So I start with observation. Very simply, what do you see? Okay. What do you see? That's it. What do you observe? And, uh, you know, it's funny. I think the, the older we get, the lazier we get about observation in all of life. If you have small children, it's a wonderful reminder about how much more there is to the world because everything's so new. You know, new things are so new. They've never seen them before, and they're just seeing the tiniest little things. Our son is a a naturally gifted observer. One of, uh, one of the stories that I like to tell on him, he, when he was little, he was about maybe two years old, and he had a, uh, a tricycle, one of those red flyer ones, the classic tricycles, right? And uh, a, it was over at his grandparents' house, at my, my parents' house, and one of the wheels had gotten broken and uh, needed to be fixed. So one day he was walking into their house through their garage, and the red flyer tricycle was sitting there, and he walks through and he goes, you fix the wheel, Papa, and just keeps walking. Well, he had known that the wheel was fixed because there were white wheels on it before, and he had not been able to find, my dad hadn't found white wheels, he found red wheels. And so he just, boom, he just, he just, man, he just sees things. Well, he's actively looking at his world. Observation is just, what do you see? Okay, what's there? If you slow down with a piece of paper and a pencil and start writing, you will see more. Okay, and that's the foundation for good Bible study. Because the more you see, then the more accurate you will interpret. And then if you've interpreted correctly, then you can apply correctly. And there's a lot of verses that are challenging to know how to apply when you first read them. It's because you haven't stopped and just observed what's there. So I'm going to give you some things that I look for. Okay? You've got a sheet there of things that Tristy looks for. Some of these overlap. I start with just basics because, again, I've got to get my brain warmed up. Who, what, when, where, why, how. Uh, who is speaking and writing. Who is he, who's the author writing to? Uh, what do I know about the background of these people, the audience and the author? What are they saying to do? Do I see commands, imperatives, suggestions, um, advice? What's going on? What kind of action is happening? When is it happening? Uh, this is really critical. When you're studying Ephesians, we're getting into uh, the epistles, letters. When is it happening? Okay, were you justified in the past? Or will you be justified in the future? Or is it both? I'm looking at verbs and tenses. When is the action happening? Where is it happening? Okay, Is it happening in geographic location? Is it happening inside of me? Is it, I'm looking at that simple issue. Uh, why is it happening? Is there motivation behind it? Encouragement to do it. How is the action happening? What is the process through which things are occurring? And then a few more things that I, I do. And honestly, a lot of times I will actually, I'll just put a list like this in front of me next to my blank piece of paper just to remind me to get my brain going again. So I look for key words and I'll, you know, I'll circle or highlight key words in my Bible. I see a word that's repeated a lot. 
Uh, I'm going to be, uh, it's repetition, I'm going to be highlighting that. I'll mark it down and I'll list all the references and begin to compare things. Looking for connecting words. And Tracy said connectors. Nobody knows what connectors are. Well, connectors are just like uh, therefore, so that. And again, we're, we're studying Ephesians in the, the main Bible study offering. Connecting words are critical to understanding the flow of Pauline argument. He has some sentences that are literally a whole chapter. I mean, it's 15 verses, and it's one sentence. English, they go in and they put some periods in there, but it's one sentence, and it's going like this. You know, and you're, well, if you highlight those connections, what's the, what's the relationship between these paragraphs or these sentences or so forth? I'm starting to write those ideas down, and you know what? I may not get them all right initially. I'm just writing stuff down. The verbs, I'm looking for the action. Looking for repetition. I'm looking for figures of speech. What does this thing mean? Okay, those are just some basic things that I look for. And uh, one of the things I've learned about teaching is that um, what we're doing right now is the absolute least efficient way to deliver information. <laughs> so, what we're going to do is we're going to stop talking for a minute, and I want you to pull out your Bibles, and I want you to open to Ephesians chapter one. Verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it, then I want you to reread it. Read it. I'm going to give you seven minutes on your own to write down absolutely everything that you can observe. And then I'm going to tell you to stop. And then I want you to share with your group. And I want you as a group to count up how many unique observations. So have one person who's the scribe who writes down the number of unique observations. So let me read Ephesians 1, 1 through 2, and then we'll start to work. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an introduction. And you say to yourselves, man, couldn't you have given us something meatier? You know, man, what are we going to get out of that? We're not going to get anything out of that. Okay, you got seven minutes uh, to prove yourself wrong. There's a lot there, right? Seven minutes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, you could you could keep talking. I know forever and ever. So let's um, let me hear. Let's just go around the room real quick. How many observations, roughly? Seven. Thirty. Thirty. Oh. Wow. You should okay. not lie. What else we got? Fifteen. Dude. Seventeen. Seventeen. Twenty-two. Okay, we're still we're hanging here at thirty. What else? There's, a, there's not a door prize involved. Huh? I'm sorry. You didn't keep track. There were so many, uh, you ran out. Yeah, what you, <laughs> sure. You Paul huh? has four letters. About. 22? <laughs> about 22? Awesome. 21. Val. 15? 17? Good. Wow. On verses 1 and 2? 55, Gabe? Right yeah. Out. Back table. Come on. How many? 17. Okay. How about you guys? Y'all, I got three. Oh, again, so many couldn't count. How about you guys? <laughs> no, 22. <I> Excellent. <laughs> 28. 28? Okay. Stand up. Everyone stand up. Take a bow. <laughs> we got a 30 over Table here. Table for... Okay. This. Did we get you guys? About 15, 16? No. Okay. You know how, how about to you guys? the word. 12-ish? Add a girl. Excellent. That's my big. Okay. I got three. Uh, tell me some of your most significant observations. Uh-oh. Give me some of your most significant observations. Paul's, Rick. Paul's incredible confidence in his apostleship. He starts with Paul, an apostle. Boom. Right out of the chute. Okay? That's an observation. He doesn't talk about his apostleship 
chapter 6, in the very first verse, it's just an observation. Is it significant? Well, the more you study the book, you're going to say, eh, it probably is. First verse, he says, Paul, an apostle. What else about apostleship do you see? Do you observe anything? Okay, appointed by God. Okay, it's God's will that he be an apostle. What else do you see about apostleship? Okay, he's an apostle to a particular group of Christ Jesus. Anything else? We're digging. We're just digging here. The name of Christ Jesus is not Jesus Christ, but Christ Jesus. The title is first in this text, which is Pauline. Okay. What else about apostleship? What else about apostleship? Anything? Okay, it's, his, it's God's will, it's not his own desire, it's not self-appointed. That'll be huge in Galatians too. About to say anything else? There you go. He's one of. Did you know mm-hmm. that? That's indefinite article. Man, you just jump over those indefinite articles, don't you? <laughs> indefinite means an apostle, not the apostle. Or as okay? my son says, no. a apostle. <laughs> <laughs> He's a apostle. He's a, 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 a apple. That's right. Okay, notice... Later on, too, he says, um, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a definite article. Mm. There's just one Lord, and it's Jesus Christ. Okay, if I don't just stop and slow down a little bit, those little two or three-letter words, I jump over, but they actually have some significance. I'll tell you, when I'm getting ready to prepare a message, I, I pull back and I just go through the text like this, and I just start writing stuff down, okay? Because that's where the Spirit begins to stir things up for me to see. When, uh, when I was in seminary taking Bible study methods, one of the first assignments that uh, Prof. Hendricks gave us, Ben alluded to him last night, uh, he, he gave us an assignment to study Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We had one verse, and we had to do observations on it. We turned them all in, you know. We got, you know, 5, 10, 15 observations. We turned that in, and he Next week, he'd give his lecture, and he'd say, okay, got an assignment this week. I want you to study Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we did that. I got everything out of it. I got eight observations. I got everything out of that. Well, we went back at it, and we did Acts 1, 8 again. And it was like, oh, gosh, I just found another 10 things. My list is now like at 20, 25. Guess what we did the next week? You had exactly <laughs> the same assignment. And pretty soon, you got to see, you got, got in the habit and understood his, his methodology and after you'd gone through Acts 1, verse 8, about four, five, six times, you could pull out 50 observations or more. Mm. Okay, not all of them enormously significant, but it began to teach you to see. And that's what he was trying to do, just slow down and learn how to look. And that's when God really speaks to you, okay? So that's what I wanted us to do with that little exercise, okay? Because whether you got 12, you got 30, you got 17... That's a bunch in two verses that are just an introduction to the book. Okay? Introductions often lay the foundation for where the book is going. Mm-hmm. So you want that really embedded in your mind when you get into chapter 3 and he starts talking about this mystery that God has revealed to him because he's an apostle. Okay? So what I want us to do now is I want to talk briefly about interpretation and then we're going to do another exercise. Okay? So interpretation, our next step is, what does the author mean? Okay, what does the author mean? And this is really important to me. I have, I have a pet peeve about this thing. When you study the Bible, the issue is not, what does it mean to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not what it's about. What does the author mean? What is his intended meaning to his original audience? 
That is what interpretation is. Now, application is going to come in a minute. That is significance to my life, bridging that gap from the first century into my century and where I'm living in my cultural context. But where I have to start, if I'm going to understand it correctly, is what does the author mean? I want to give you just two thoughts on um, this. The first is a normal use of language. You have good translations in front of you. God wants to reveal himself. He's not trying to hide himself. When you and I have a conversation, most of what we say to one another, we're going to understand because language is such a wonderful gift. It works. Language works. Sometimes I I think we fear interpreting the Bible. Oh, it's going to be so tricky, tricky, tricky. Just assume a normal use of language. You know when you're looking at a figure of speech. You know it. You know God's hand is heavy upon them. Well, we know God's spirit, and He doesn't have He doesn't have a hand per se. So, what what is He talking about? Well, the strength of God, and maybe God's executing some kind of justice or judgment on them through whatever means. But we, we're not thinking, "Oh man, God's got big hands." <laughs> hey, you know, it's just a normal use of language. Assume that it's just normal communication. <laughs> Second thing, context. What I mean by that is trunk, trunk, or trunk. You know what I mean? No, you don't know what I mean. You know why you don't know what I mean? Because you don't have the context. What do I mean, trunk, trunk, or trunk? What I mean is trunk, trunk, trunk. Okay. Let's say you and I are standing at the zoo next to the elephants, and somebody starts talking about trunks. What's he talking about? Trunk of an elephant. Okay. We're standing at the back of a car, and somebody opens that lid on the back, and they start talking about the contents inside a trunk. What are they talking about? Trunk of the car. It's just context, right? We're standing next to a big box, and it's got quilts and afghans in it. What are we talking about? A trunk to put things in. It's just context, and my point is simply this. When you read the Bible, there's always just context. So the most important tool in interpretation, during Bible study methods, we're going to teach you how to do mechanical layouts. You may or may not like doing that. We're going to teach you how to do word studies. Uh, We're going to teach you a bunch of different techniques and stuff. The most important interpretive tool, just read what's going on around it. Usually when I have more time and I'm teaching Bible study methods, when I get to this point, I throw you into the deep end. I'm not going to do that this morning because we don't have time, but usually what I'll do is I'll say, now, open your Bible to James 2, Hebrews 6, or Hebrews 10. Okay, I take you to the passages that everybody goes, oh, that's absolutely the hardest passage I can't even imagine. I don't even know what it means. It's troubled me forever. I say, all right, well, let's figure it out then. You know, and James 2 is a wonderful illustration because if you read the paragraph before James 2, 14 through 26, and the paragraph after James 2, 14 through 26, you know what you discover? It's all about God's evaluation of a believer's life. Hmm. Maybe 2, 14 through 26 is also about the evaluation of a believer's life. So maybe if we just looked at the context, because if you see most articles written on James 2, 14 through 26, they ignore all the rest of James. Okay? It's context. It's context. The book of Hebrews 6 and 10 is also a beautiful illustration. There's all kinds of contextual clues taking you back to Deuteronomy. And what do you do when you see that? You know, you see a little note in the margin? Go back and read Deuteronomy. It's context, okay? So those are two of my really important rules. Just read the whole thing all around it and assume that God wants to speak, and he's speaking just using normal uses of language, okay? So interpretation is just what does the author mean? A lot of different tools you can use on that, but what I want us to do this morning is I want us to just go through a little exercise about uh, using interpretive questions. 
Okay, I want you to come up with questions about meaning. Okay, we're going to go back through. Uh, you can do Ephesians 1, 1 through 4. You can add two more verses. And I want you to just ask questions. Don't even try to get to the answer yet. But just questions about meaning. For example, chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace. What is peace? What does peace mean? What does it mean? Does it mean that they're not in a battle right now? They're not having to strap on armor and swords? What is peace? What does it mean? Okay, that's going to force me to go you know, do a word study or pick up a Bible dictionary, all kind of techniques you'll, you'll learn this semester in, Bible, in uh, Ephesians. But just meaning questions. Grace, what does grace mean? Do I really understand what grace means? And then I'm going to ask myself the question, why? Why does he start the letter with this standard greeting of grace and peace? And I might pick up, you know, after I've done all my own observations and written my interpretive questions, I'm going to pick up maybe a commentary and read. And there I learn that Paul's greeting is not the standard greeting of the day. Usually they say kyrene, which means just greeting, but literally joys. Joys to you, joy, be joyful. Paul says grace and peace. What does that mean? Why does he choose a different greeting? These are all interpretive questions, okay? So I want you to just go through and write out as many interpretive questions as you can think of. I'll give you four minutes to do that. And you can, use, you can go into the verses three and four if you'd like to. Okay. I see pen still moving, but I'm going to stop you anyway. Um, interpretive questions. Questions that come to your mind as you look at the text. Give me some of them. What have you got? Bob, what is an apostle? Excellent. How would you answer that question? Anybody? How would you answer that question? You create the question, then you want to know the answer, right? What's that? No, no, no. No, no. Don't answer it for me. How would you answer the question? Don't answer the question for me. How would you answer the question? Okay. Yeah. You get online, uh, Bible Gateway, you type in apostle, it gives you all these references on apostle. And you're going to come across, you're going to have to filter them out. And you're reading through them quickly. That's not helping, that's not helping, that's not helping. It's just referring to the title. Okay, and then I come across some in uh, 2 Corinthians. In particular, Paul is arguing for his apostleship, 2 Corinthians. And I get a couple verses that tell me this is what an apostle is. It's one who's seen Jesus. He was, you know, so forth. It goes through this whole list. This is one, and I understand. I click on it below, and I see the word literally means one who is sent. Okay, and the first use is Acts chapter 1, one who's sent on behalf of Jesus Christ, who has seen Christ, Ephesians, I got that reference, and it tells me one who laid the foundation for the church, and I've got my answer. And it's an important answer to have, and how did I do it? Well, I just looked up other uses of the word apostle, and there are all kinds of online tools. Bible Gateway is a great one. I think in your Ephesians packet, they list other online resources. What's, what's the one? Blue Letter Bible, um, Bible.org has some great search mechanisms. There are lots of good things like that. On reference tools like that, I don't use paper anymore. I still have the paper sitting on my shelf, but man, with online, you just pop, 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 and you got it. Okay, give me another interpretive question. Yeah, Larry. Very good. What does it mean to be a faithful follower of Christ Jesus? Context is probably going to help that as we read the rest of Ephesians. He may help us define what that means. Yeah, Jason. Okay, there you go. Why does he add the qualifier in the first place? What is faithful? Excellent. Yeah. What's faithful? Why does he add it? Why does he say saints and faithful? 
who were the faithful? Are they the same as saints? Are they two different groups of people? Is it a subset? Yeah. Oh, that's a, did you guys hear that? What things do we have in Christ that we don't have outside of Christ? Uh, I don't know if, you know, during observation, I noticed the fact that he wrote to the Ephesians. Did you notice that? Can I notice that he wrote to the Ephesians? That means he didn't write to different, he's just writing to one group, and he's writing, apparently, to Christians in Ephesus. He's not writing to the city of Ephesus. Okay, that's really significant. This is a letter to Christians living in Ephesus. It's not to the entire population of Ephesus. It's a letter to Christians. So I'm going to expect different things. This is not an evangelistic message, in other words. Will the gospel be embedded in it? Uh, probably. Paul slips it in every time. you know. But it's significant. Other interpretive questions? What would you come up with? Yeah. Excellent. Okay, that's good. What is peace and, and who's it with? What, you, know, you think about peace, you think about relationships, obviously. Whether it's country fighting against country or person on person, who's the relationship? What's the context of the peace? Uh, are they not at peace right now? Is that why he blesses them with peace? Yeah. Why did God choose us? Okay, that's going to be huge in Ephesians chapter 1. So, as you are studying and you come across that and you've already read the whole book several times in your survey and you see this idea of choice or election or whatever, you need to stop and say, okay, I've only got 30 minutes to work on Bible study today. <laughs> this is the anchor. This is huge for the whole book of Ephesians. I better spend maybe the majority of my time trying to figure out what is this concept of choice, being chosen, election, and how am I going to do that? How do you do that? First, context, context, context. Hey, look at everything that's said around this verse and everything that's said in this book about choice and election. Then I might go online again and do a word study and pull up other places where this word is used. I personally would start with Paul, okay? because this is written by Paul. I'm going to start with Paul. Then I'm going to pull in other authors. Then I'm going to move outside of the New Testament and go into the Old Testament and pull it and see if the, the ideas are related because you know words change in how they're used in time. So I'm going to go through all that process, and during our study of Ephesians, we're going to teach you how to do a good word study. But you nailed it. Okay, That's, that's probably one of the biggest concepts, particularly in Ephesians chapter 1. It's foundational for the book. Okay, Give me one more. Another one more interpretive. Yes, ma'am. Excellent. Okay, Why does he say, praise to be to the God and Father? That's really good. That's really good. Now, I think that's a good question, too, to move us on to application. Okay? Uh, let me give you a couple of things to think about. Because if you go through observation and interpretation, you shut your Bible, you walk away for the day or the week, you've short-circuited the process, right? So the point, again, is for our lives to be changed by God's Word. So when I think about application, um, I'm thinking about a couple of things. First, I'm looking for timeless relevance to my life. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to bridge this gap from first century audience into my time. And what's the principle that's timeless here? Second thing, uh, I'm looking for a specific response or action. It's, it's not enough to write out some kind of thing on application, but it doesn't really challenge me. 
to move. So I think about, I think about a bunch of things. Let me give you just a few illustrations. I'm going to let Tristy give you some illustrations of what, how she applies. Is there a sin for me to confess? Is there something I saw in there? I go, man, that spirit just nailed that like with that me. Line. Yeah. So maybe I need so to linger here. if you want to draw a line that's fine. <laughs> Is there a promise for me to believe? A promise that's relevant to me. That it's, I can tell from the context it's transcendent. Not just to these believers in Ephesus, but to me as well. Okay. Is there command for me to obey? Those are a few things that I, I think about. There are others as well, but those are some of my starting points. Tris, uh, make sure your mic is on. Well, talk Gary? Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, we're going to extend this workshop till 10.30. Buck Anderson just uh, passed me a note just because we got started late, so you got a little bit more time. It's going to be so much fun because we're going to do a little Q&A, hopefully, at the end. At the end. We all love Q&As, don't we? Let me tell you a couple things, and I'm going to try to do this. My mind is not completely coherent. I'm still a little bit tired. But the greatest thing I learned this summer, she's, she's like, Tristy, stop telling the story, is from a friend of mine named Cindy, and she explained to me something very clearly. I had viewed a ton of Bible study methodology, teaching, observation, interpretation, application, and I taught it to my girls in this way, uh, very methodically, very academically. And, and the Spirit's moving and busting and moving, doing stuff, and things were happening. But I'm just saying, I, I began to teach them in that format, which was marvelous for them because they had a stepping off point. These girls go to any other church in America, and guess who's asked to leave the Bible study? These girls, because they get it. They get how to observe. They get how to do, interpret. They get how to apply. They don't just look for themselves in the text. Well, Isaiah 43 says this, so God bless you, Britain. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't work like that. So, but... What I learned from Cindy was this, was I learned, A, like Brian said, how to be unhurried. I learned how to slow down, and I learned the value of each word, of each word. I talk fast, I eat fast, I move fast, but I learned to study slowly. And so very quickly, before I'm going to talk to you about application, is I wanted to show you one thing. Because some of you, I could see it in your eyes, you're watching Bri. You're watching all this, and you're kind of going, <laughs> it's a kind of a lot to do to sign up for Ephesians Bible study. But once you learn to study this way, it is beautiful. It is magical. It is a language, and you will never study it the same way again. If you learn this now, you'll be 65 years old, and I'm going to hand you 2 Timothy. And I'm going to say, Britton, I want you to do an inductive Bible study on four verses on 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 4. Can you do it, bro? He goes, yeah. Not out of pride, but because he knows how to do it. It's a language. For example, who wrote the book of Ephesians? Paul. What does he call himself? Of who? How? Who is he writing to? Where do they live? And who are faithful. There's a discrimination, isn't there, between saints and faithful. Why? That, in your mind, you go like this. That's observation. Why does he discriminate between faithful and the brethren? I'll write that in my interpretive question. I had a great question up here from my sweetie pie. She said, she goes, I came in kind of late. Can you give me the, the four and one? Observation. What does it say? Everybody say, what does it say? Interpretive. What does it mean? Application. What does it mean to me? 
do you see a complete difference in these three things? Okay. Second verse, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What I love about that, I say, he says grace and peace from God. Why does he use grace and peace? Why not just say grace? I put that in my interp. <laughs> he calls him God, our Father. Why does he address him as Father? What do we know about Ephesians, Ephesian believers? Well, I guess, guess I got to study, <laughs> you know. The third part, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. In verse 1, he called him what? Meshach, Yeshua. Yeshua. He called him Christ Jesus. In verse 2, he says Jesus Christ. Do you see how much meat there is in this doggone thing? That's the first two verses. That's the first two verses. It's beautiful. Once you think this way, you will never be the same. It takes a lot of time. <laughs> it takes a lot of time, and it's beautiful. And you can have a two-week quiet time in four verses, and your life be completely changed. Tell me again, observation, what is it? What does it say? Your eyes. Think eyes. I'm looking at something. I'm looking at an Aggie maroon shirt. What does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? mean. Whether I have an emotive reaction to it or not. A lot of people let their emotions cloud their interpretive understanding of Scripture, correct? Well, I don't like that. Well, tough. (laughs) You know, if you're reading in Greek and Hebrew and you're studying your commentaries and it interprets and it's uncomfortable, you keep digging. You keep hitting James uh, James 2. You keep hitting uh, John 15. You keep hitting Ephesians 6 and 10. You bust a move and you go deep regardless of your feelings and you write your interps. Well, I call them interps. Sorry, interpretations. (laughs) Lastly, application. This is where we all love to live. Every college Bible study I've ever taught, been in, whatever. We all go like this, don't we? Where am I in the Bible? Right? What is God's word to me today? I have to raise two children, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and they're making me crazy. Now, God, give me something out of Galatians. Keep me going. (laughs) Right? That is, sadly, what we do. And you know what? I do it. I do it all the doggone time. I look for me in the text because I'm (laughs) self-centered, right? Holy selfishness, right? We all talked about it earlier. The trick is this. Discipline yourself. Ask the Lord to help you to discipline yourself to see observation first, interpretation second, application third, and you will see a completely different read on your text. Here's application that I like. Application, I like how Brian did it already, honestly. That's why I didn't take any time on it. When I read a text, I say to myself, how does this affect me? For me personally, um, my best friends are the ones who ask first, where am I convicted? Those are my favorite best friends. We read the text. We say, what does it say to me? Am I under conviction? Do I need to confess to the Lord? What is it calling me to do? How is it calling me to step out? How is God teaching me to forgive in a different manner? There, it is, application is action, and it is action for you. Brian. Okay. All right. Let me give you, I'm going to recommend some books, and then I'll, we'll open it up for, we got a little bit of time for question and answer. We did. Doug um, gave us five minutes. First, if you want to, just kind of a basic book on Bible study methods, Living by the Book, Howard Hendricks. You'll see a lot of the stuff that we do here. In terms of observation, interpretation, application. Okay, a lot of it stolen directly <laughs> from here, uh, and and other books. Uh, very little invented 
here. So Living by the Book by Hendricks, that's kind of a foundational book. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. This is a really enjoyable read. I really like this book a lot. And one of the reasons I like it is it's short. Okay. He likes to read. It's 250 pages, but it's, it's a good, easy read. Okay. If you want to dig a little deep, and I'll leave all these up here if you want to spread them out and we can look at them all. I'll put, actually, I'll put them on that table over there. Uh, a little deeper into interpretation. Hermeneutics is the art and science of interpretation. This is a good intro book to interpretation. It's called The Hermeneutical Spiral by Grant Osborne. So I'm just trying to hit anybody wherever you are and what you're, you're interested in, okay? The cookies are on the it's, top shelf, the bottom shelf, and the middle here. <laughs> we're, moving, okay. we're moving them up toward the top shelf. We're moving to okay? the top. Hermeneutical spiral is talking about the fact that you, you, know, you go in, you start big, you look at survey, you go in and you're looking at a specific word study and then you're needing to pull out and look at the context and you're going in and out like this. And you know what you do? For your entire rest of your life, you'll probably study Ephesians a whole bunch more times and you're going to get more out of it every time. And that's why he calls it just like a spiral. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a philosophy major, all right, all right. and you want to get into the philosophy behind interpretation, uh, E.D. Hirsch, not a Christian, but he is going to get you down the path on the philosophy of interpretation from a foundation where he assumes that the author's meaning is what you're after. And you go, well, yeah, of course. The, the, the primary school of interpretation that you are going to get, even at Texas A&M, a relatively conservative school, if you go to an English department class, the issue is, what does it mean to me? Mm-hmm. That's what they're looking for. No, that's not it. Okay? What is the author's intended meaning? Now, what's the significance of that for my life? That's application. But the meaning is what the author intended to mean. This is the philosophy behind that. E.D. Hirsch. Great stuff. Okay, like now let me, let's open it up for a few questions and I want to drive something home right at the end. Yes? Like, one thing that I struggled with when leading Bible study center was um, knowing whether or not a promise applied to us or just the people in the text. Case in point, Romans 10.9. Okay, Romans 10.9. I, I can't answer Romans 10.9 for you this morning. Afterwards, if you want to stay around afterwards, we'll do Romans 10.9 specifically. But okay. how do I know... Well, let me, let me just answer the question in principle, okay? How do I know if a specific promise applies to me? Well, I look at what is the basis for that promise. In other words, is the basis for that promise a specific historical setting for that group of people? Okay, you're, there's a, let's say there's a, there's a judgment about to come on Jerusalem in AD 70, and if you do such and such, you will escape that judgment. Well, that's a specific historical setting. Or is the promise based upon a timeless principle about the character of God? Okay, if I see in the context that the basis is some timeless principle about the character of God, let's say it's even not a promise, but um, uh, God is holy, and he's always holy. That means there will always be consequences for sin. So I see a sin uh, listed in the text, and I know that I'm struggling with that sin. What I know the timeless principle is, since God is always holy, that I will experience some consequence for that sin in my life if I don't respond in repentance. Okay? Um, the Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that's really challenging. Who's he writing to in Romans 10? He's writing to or about the Jews, okay? racial, ethnic Jews. Is he transcending their Judaism 
in writing a, a, a deal basically that is, this is a synthesis of the gospel for all people in all times. Again, I've got to look at the context, and that's hard to do. Okay, that's hard to do. That is, you know, in a sense, really, that's the next step beyond what we were talking about this morning. But how do you bridge from here in this context into mind to make a right interpretation and a right application? Mm-hmm. Look, I'll tell you, to do basic Bible study methods and to get a lot out of the text for you, that is available to absolutely everyone, and it shouldn't be intimidating. At the very same time, the Bible is a complex book. And I don't want to pretend that it's not. Uh, The theology is rich and complicated, and you need to make a commitment for the rest of your life that you are going to work to become more and more and more skilled at interpreting properly. So, I mean, you've asked Mm -hmm. a fundamental and really important question, and I can give you a lot more stuff to Mm -hmm. read to work on on that. I guess, like, my main focus would be, like, um, people, like, you know, claiming, like, life verses or Mm -hmm. verses of their own. Like Isaiah, whatever, Mm -hmm. for you, girl. Yeah, Yeah. I get get nervous about people doing that because I don't want to say, yeah, that's your own if it's not... If it's written, to absolutely produce. okay. Right. Good job. You know, the, the, the stuff in Isaiah is a great illustration. I love. You know, that. last uh, <laughs> I lose track of sermons. What did I say <laughs> last week? Uh, I think last week we did covenants, right? Yeah. Or was it, no? It was a week before that. Week before that. It was a week before that. Um, talking about the covenants, the reason I did that is because I view the biblical covenants as an interpretive grid, because you know, if you know. Uh, where you are in the flow of biblical history and what covenant promises are applicable. You pick up the Bible, you know, where am I? You know where to land. Isaiah is a great illustration. There are promises about being restored to the land. Does that apply to me? No, it doesn't. Because as a Gentile, I don't participate in the land promises made to Abraham. Galatians 3 is going to make it clear that I get portions of the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled through the new covenant that belong to me as a Christian right now, but it doesn't include promises of land. I don't have a land inheritance. My land's right here in Texas right now. You know, and I, I don't know where it's going to be in the kingdom, but I'm asking for Colorado. <laughs> I'm not even asking for Israel. I, you know, I'd rather be in the mountains. So my point is, my point is, I want you guys to uh, hopefully be really excited and motivated about just get started and dig and know you need to be stretched. Okay? You need to understand that whole flow of biblical history. You need to know all the stories, all the data, and you've got a lifetime to do it. Let's get after it. Okay? But not every promise everywhere applies to me. Not every command everywhere applies to me. Illustrated that last, uh, two weeks ago, talking about the covenants, when we, we talked about uh, you know, the command in Leviticus, I think it's 11, don't eat shellfish. Don't eat lobster, and you know, lobster and shrimp are off limits. Well, what do I know? Well, further revelation, I know from Hebrews chapter 10 that what is old and obsolete is getting ready to disappear. And that is because Christ has superseded the old covenant with the new covenant. That's a great question. And there's a lot to it. Does that help at all? Did I start down the path? No, you will. No, you will. It's just like, I mean, I understand there's a difference. I just am having a hard time like figuring out how to like in a box, like, like here's the party line. 
when we were teaching the Psalms this summer, all summer I had women ask me, how does Psalm 23 affect me? How does Psalm 51 affect me? It's written in David. How does this? How does that? And part of your, your clue phone that you, you check into is who is it written to? Are there timeless principles that still apply to me? Is God still your shepherd? Yes. Uh, what, if you uh, Psalm 51 is extremely challenging. Does God punish sin? Yes. Where does Isaiah fall in the Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and New Covenant? And you learn that history. But the biggest, the greatest phrase you can ever learn is timeless principle. My girls know this. It's like any, I can send you a verse girl and a card. I get, I get cards all the time. People go, girl, I love you. Thanks for changing my life. Leviticus 18. And I'm like, is that about circumcision? <laughs> I don't think I want that verse. Yeah. But literally, literally, uh, I can take that verse and say the timeless principle is still true. The attribute of God as creator, as lover of my soul, as forgiver, as this, those things are still true. It's a timeless principle, and you'll begin to articulate it in that way. Let, let me put it in your context, right? It was Isaiah 43, 13, 40, 43, 4. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life context who's he writing to yeah verse one but now thus says the lord your creator o jacob and he who formed you o israel talking specifically about the nation of ethnic israel do not fear for i have redeemed you i've called you by name you are mine there's a special place that israel has and they're going to be called out of slavery rescued redeemed so forth so he gets down here verse four since you're precious in my sight since you're honored and i love you i will give other men in your place other peoples in exchange for your life uh, I'm going to rescue you from those nations to which I've scattered you. That's the historical context. I'm going to bring you back into the land. So they, you know, they will not prosper, but I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to prosper you. Now, is there an application from this verse? Sure, absolutely. Since you're precious in my sight and you're honored and I love you. That is true of you in Jesus Christ. God proved to you that you are precious in his sight and you are honored he wouldn't have sacrificed Christ otherwise. And so there is a timeless principle about God and the way God feels about you that you can draw from that. But don't jump right there. Let's stick it in context first and then move on. One of the okay. questions ever. Okay, guys, we, all, we already went five minutes over. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let me give you one parting thought because I know most of you are, are leaders. Some of you may not be leading groups, but a lot of you are. As a leader, your job is not to have all the answers. Okay? So just, just, there you go. Just get it out of there and don't live with that. Your job is not to have all the answers. Did any of you enjoy just writing out observations today? Did any of you enjoy just sharing those observations and talking with your group? That's fun, right? Did any of you do the homework assignment for this class beforehand? No, you did not, because there was none. You didn't know about it. Well, let me just tell you, when you're, you're, a lot of you are going to get a group and your group's delivered to you, and the first week, nobody's done their work. The second week, nobody's done their work. The third week, nobody's done your work. You walk into a setting that's basically like this. It can still be awfully fun. You just start observing the word together, and your job is not to teach. Wait a second, I'm the group leader. If you forget everything else we just said, remember this. Your job is not to teach. Your job is to facilitate discovery. Okay? Help others discover 
So the best group meetings are where you as the leader have talked the least. But you have created conversation and discussion, and maybe there are questions that are still out there hanging. Well, you know what? That tension's okay, because what does it do? Man, it makes you hungry. I need to learn more. I need to go after more. Okay, that's okay. You haven't answered every question. It's not your job to answer every question. You won't have every question answered. But have you created a desire and a hunger for others to be in the Word of God? The way that you do that is you help them discover. Okay, that's, that's your job. Okay, and I think that that relieves a lot of the burden. I think it also makes your group a lot more fun because they're not getting a Bible lecture every week. They're digging it out on their own. Okay, all right. Let me, let me pray for us real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for speaking to us. I thank you, Father, that uh, even though there are things that are challenging and complicated, there are also things that are so simple and true and foundational. We know Jesus loves us. We know he died for our sins. And we know that he's speaking through his word. Father, by the power of your spirit, I pray that you give us hearts that are receptive and minds that are open to listen to that word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.